Welcome to Talk Therapy CBT, a conversation about educating, helping, and connecting individuals to the world of psychology. This podcast is supported and produced by Inner Balance Psychology Center. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Dr. Alba Raffaella, psychologist and author of Breaking the Mirror, a story and guide on how to recognize and deal with narcissists, available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I'm your host, Dr. Don Raffa, and joining me today is my lovely co-host, Mr. Anthony Denna. We got to win this race. <laughs> We did the sound. We did. We did. We did the sound check, but you didn't listen to it. We're just going into it, huh? Oh shoot! Do I need to? I don't know. I hope not. I can. <sighs> Good. Let's just see what happens. I guess <laughs> we're gonna wing it. Yeah, we'll wing it. We're gonna wing it. All right. So we have an exciting show today because. <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell everybody what just transpired here. Like in the last minute. No, so the two of us went to went to the Doville, and we were, we had a couple of cocktails, <laughs> and then we're now going to try to do the podcast, and we're both feeling pretty good. One of us is feeling a little bit better than the other. We'll have you just listen in and see if you can figure out which one I'm talking about. Which one of these things is not like the other? Remember that? Yeah, so it shouldn't take you that long. <laughs> it's Sesame Street. So... Our show today was... Is, today's show is going to be brought to you by the letter A <laughs> and the number three. Right. Okay. The sponsor of the show. All right. So I'm now recently obsessed with the book that you recommended. You're welcome. Thank you. So you know me pretty well and you know the kind of things that I get, you know, interested in right. or slash <laughs> obsessed with. Ge- right? Geeking out over. I geeking get out it. over, yep. right. So I've just finished the book yesterday, and it is called Never Split the Difference, How to Negotiate as if Your Life Depended on It by Chris Voss. So you had played me some clips right. on so, YouTube, right? Yeah, most of the time when I read a book, I it means I'm listening. You, on the other hand, you go both back and forth, but most of the time I'm listening. I have a long commute, although I'm reading a, a pretty good memoir right now called Nothing Going On But the Shouting. Or something like that, but it's a, it's a pretty good it's a pretty good memoir by uh, I think his name's Ricky Bragg. But yeah, I let you listen to a couple of parts, and you got it. You were intrigued. It wasn't like yeah, that's great, hon, and you just disregarded mm-hmm. it. So that was good. Yeah, it hooked me. It definitely did. So we have some quotes that are from the author. Yeah. So for Chris Voss, first he was a FBI negotiator. He is from, first of all, if you, you know, he was, if, a, hostage he was a hostage negotiator for, you know, and with dealing with terrorists and bank robbers and, and uh, you know, all sorts of situations. He, you could find him on YouTube. He's got videos on YouTube. He, he formed in 2007, the Black Swan Group, which is his, um, his organization. He does seminars and, uh, you know, it's a fun little cult to join. I'm just kidding. But it's this new business venture and he's doing very well with it. And, you know, his, his looks, you know, he doesn't look like necessarily like a typical New Yorker, but his voice is a typical New Yorker. Like he's just, he sounds like a guy that just, he's, he's born and raised in New York. And he is not, although I, I think he, you know, obviously migrated there and had to live there for a while. So maybe it rubbed off on him, but he's from Iowa of all places. That's and great. yeah, uh-huh. I just, I just looked him up. Now, again, I just Googled him real quick and I didn't really find much on early life, which I'm always, I'm always interested in anybody that we're going to talk about or anybody I'm going to look at, teach, you know, I like to know a little bit about their background. Sometimes you can, you can key in on things. And since I guess he was in the FBI, <laughs> he's not sharing 
bearing anything and nobody's been able to write a biography on them or, or, or post it. Again, I only looked one spot. So, But yeah, this book has a lot of good quotes. So I'll share one that I liked. There was a few. The one that I picked was, the beauty of empathy is that it doesn't demand that you agree with another person's ideas or with the other person's ideas. And with negotiating, and this book has so many different, he, and he points it out, there's so many different ways to use it in anybody and everybody's life. How many times do you negotiate with your kids? How many? And he even says that. He goes, I use these tactics I've learned in the FBI to negotiate with my kids, to negotiate with my, with my wife, to negotiate with you know anybody and everybody. So there's a lot to take from this book. That's why you know, I thought it was a good read you know, for you and, and for me and anybody else. I, I suggest everybody maybe take a peek at it if you, uh, if you have time. But just to have empathy doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with them. You know, you, I understand where you're coming from. I understand why you feel the way you do. Still don't agree with, with your religion or, or what you, you know, what you are trying to mm-hmm. get across. So the, the thing about the, what I, you know, was listening to in the book, and I, like I said, I finished it, a lot of psychology in the book, a lot of sociology, and that is the essence of couples therapy, which I teach couples, is you empathize, you reflect back, you use some of these techniques that I, you know, teach them, and the book also goes over. It doesn't mean you agree. All it means is saying to the other person, I hear you, I validate your feelings. It makes sense that you feel this way. Right. I, can under, I, I see where you're coming from. I see why you might've thought that. Right. And that there's no feel. judgment because we all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. So that quote encompasses that, right? With the empathy. Yeah, definitely. So, so mine is a little short and sweet. No deal is better than a bad deal. <laughs> so the, <laughs> So I guess that's up for debate, but according to him, like a bad deal is is obviously not the way to go. And he has a lot of techniques and tactics in there about specific negotiation. But I like that quote because it's better to negotiate, you know, like a good deal than a bad deal, obviously, in your favor. And it depends on how you define good deal. Well, sitting down at any negotiation and knowing in your heart, I can just get up and and if this doesn't, I'm going to get up and and leave. Like if you're not ready to do that because – you know, for whatever reason, like you have to get something done and, and, you know, that then you're not going to be able to negotiate. Like why bother? But if you know that there's a chance that, okay, I'm just going to get up and walk away there. There's no way that I'm going to agree to certain things. And that's just all there is to it. And a lot of his examples are likened to the FBI negotiation. I mean, he does have certain examples about like financial negotiations with buying a car, renting or negotiating a contract or whatever. But I guess psychologically, like you feel bad if you have a bad deal. Yeah. Uh, like it's better to not sell yourself short. Yeah. Right, and take a well, deal. And, and getting back and getting back to the, you know, the whole philosophy of the book, you know, he points out that, you know, his tactics work because if they don't, <laughs> people die. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, like I know what I'm doing. Like, cause I think the, in the beginning, the first chapter, he goes into Harvard law. He earned a, a master's or maybe got an honorary degree there because he came back and taught class there. And they were a top school for negotiating tactics. And he went there and he schooled a couple of the doctors there who tried to, they tried to basically pigeonhole him. And, and he's just like, okay, but you know, like, he's like, I, I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with monsters. You know what I mean? And I am, you guys talk about theory, you guys read and write books and you guys, and you know, and he, you know, all those things are, are, are very, you know, very nice and, and wonderful and, and they have some merit, but I, I've got, you know, I've got dirt and blood on my uniform. Like I've got, you know, I, I've been there, done that, you know, so. Well, he consulted with psychologists, I think maybe some sociologists, but he, he predominantly said psychologists about how to make these 
tactics work, it's real life experience. And in Harvard, it was all theoretical about mm-hmm. how things should be or supposed to be like that book, Getting to Yes. Like he, he talked about that, how that doesn't always work. And I guess he titled it Never Split the Difference because oftentimes that's what we do. If, you know, we meet in the middle where that doesn't always work. And right. he used the example with the wife and the husband and the shoes. Right. So that doesn't always make sense. The, like, the example she's, the example the, the, the good doctor is talking about is the husband wants to wear what, like say, brown shoes. brown shoes and the wife wants him to wear black and they negotiate. And yes, you cut, you guessed it. He wears one brown and one black, and that's 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 even. That's that's, that's fair, right? It's a good compromise. He looks silly, and she looks silly standing next to him. But right. you know, hey, everybody wins, right? No, everybody loses. Right. It's an example of splitting the difference where it doesn't always work. You know. So we wrote down some tactics that he uses. That, I mean, they're tactics, techniques, and I really like the fact that it really is born in psychology, mm-hmm. and a, a lot of this stuff is. In therapy, especially couples therapy or Gottman level therapy stuff, but they can be used with anybody, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's your boss, whether it's your kids, your spouse, different ways to talk to people and foster relationships. So yeah. you have, I have, yeah, I have some key points that, and again, this is just really the beginning of the of the book, but it's still really good stuff. And even if you take this much from it, you're doing a good job. Successful negotiations stresses the importance of emotional intelligence and empathy toward the other side and forming a genuine human relationship with the other side. And he stresses here, emotion, not logic, determines the success or failure of a negotiation. So if you just berate them with logic and facts and data, great, that's fantastic. But do you want to just prove that you're right or do you want to win the negotiation or make a negotiation that went, that helps both of you? And I think that's what he's saying here, right? He is. And also like it, it's an extreme example of him empathizing and validating, you know, a, a a terrorist or like a bank robber, like you wouldn't think that that's the way to go, but they have to, you have to forge that relationship in order to even have a chance of the other person listening to what you have to say, finding, you know, some way to connect. I love the one example he talks about. There was toward the end of the book, there's a, a drug dealer that comes to the FBI because <laughs> his girlfriend was kidnapped by a an adversarial drug dealer. You know, <laughs> his, right. this other drug dealer kidnapped his girlfriend. So he went to the FBI and, he's, and he basically says, yeah, I, listen, I'm a drug dealer and I did a lot of bad things, but they've got my girlfriend and I know that's messed up. So help me find her. You, you know, <laughs> you go to the FBI when you, I guess so, right? You have a kidnapped friend or um, And so, with you know, by in doing this to, to form a good, genuine human relationship, much like a psychologist, you have to, right? You have to establish trust by getting the other side to see that you're welcoming, perceptive, insightful, and warm. And genuinely and, so, not just like in a BS kind of way. Well, no, that you, yeah, well, I mean, you know, you want to mean it and you, you do mean it. Right. And you kind of find some feelings. I think that's what the labeling is, finding some feeling that the other person may have and labeling that feeling. Mm-hmm. Like the one example he used with the bank robber with, there were two bank robbers and one didn't know that they were going to go rob the bank that day. Yeah. They were kind of like, they got duped. Yeah. And the one guy, you know, was kind of the getaway person had already left and it was the main bank robber and then his partner in crime or whatever. And he was like, oh my gosh, I got duped. So I think it was Chris Voss. He got on the phone with, and he kind of hit into, I know you don't want to go to jail. Right. You know, like he already knew. He didn't know anything about the story between them. And that kind of hit with, yes, I, I don't want to go to jail. I do want to come out of here alive. And getting to the like once, 
what that person wants, right? Yeah. And then one thing to add, you don't want to bully them into submission and bury them with facts, as I, as I said before. Well, you have to yeah. let them think they're in control. That's huge. Well, yeah. And, um, you know, that, that way that they're they, you're not, yeah, you're not trying to tell them what to do. Right. You're allowing them to share with you what they're feeling and what's going on. And again, he talks about, you know, giving them, and, and again, this sounds very deceptive, but giving them the illusion of being in control. Mm-hmm. And all I think really all he means there is just to let them be heard and mm-hmm. let them feel like, I hear you, mm-hmm. you are heard, and I'm registering not. Because the one thing that he mentions, I forget the name of the psychologist, but you remember this, where he says, we can only process a few things at a time. Seven items at a time, seven mm-hmm you know, pieces of information at one time. And that's true. When I used to do neuropsych testing, the Wechsler memory scale is what I used. And that was the norm. Like set, when people got up to seven, that was pretty good. Right. Remembering seven words at a time or seven pieces of information at a time. Yeah. So in doing this perfect segue, the first thing that he talks about is something that we all, I think all of us feel like a lot of people out there think they, they do, but they're really not doing it because it seems easy, but it's, it's, Listening. it's, yeah, it's not. It's a little harder than you think. Active listening, not just listening. Active listening. Yeah, he says that a lot of times you 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 listen to what you want to listen to, rebut, and you think of what your rebuttal is going to be, and you're so focused on formulating that you know response where you might have missed some things that were important to them mm-hmm. trying to convey their position. Do you want to demonstrate active listening with me? Okay, so we're we gonna we're we gonna go into mirroring, or what do you want to mean? No, we'll by- do active listening. So you say something. Okay, just I'll- give me a little blurb, not too long. Okay, and then I'll I'll re- paraphrase back to you. Okay, am I gonna discuss a problem, or it can just be anything? It could be flowers. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay, I'm be, not gonna. I'm it not- could be cheese. It could be. <laughs> it could be dinner. Okay, so. My girlfriend just continues to go on and on about this whiskey cheese that we purchased, and she cannot believe that it tastes like whiskey. And after the third or fourth time she mentions it, I start to cringe because I'm trying to humor her, but she just goes on and on and on about this cheese. Okay. So what I heard you say is you and your girlfriend purchased some cheese, some whiskey cheese, and she's smitten with it. And you're hearing her go on. I didn't say smitten. Okay. She's. But that's that's probably how you feel about it. Hey, hey, hey. Stop. Stop. You're not supposed to. Sorry, sorry. She's excited about it. She thinks the cheese is delicious and she's going on and on. And by the third time, you are hearing her say it again. Seems as if you don't want to hear her talk about the cheese anymore. Which only means I just I, I just now invited her to mention it another five or six times tonight. So in active listening, you repeat back to the other person. So what I heard you say was, and then you paraphrase back. You maybe don't insert words, although it doesn't have to be verbatim. You repeat back and you don't make any inferences. You don't make any judgments. You don't make any opinions about what the other person says, whether you agree or disagree. If they're being traumatic, you don't have to say that or what they may be feeling. So you can talk. So I have couples do this in therapy and we start with like easy stuff to talk about. Talk about rocks, talk about flowers. You can talk about, you know, neutral stuff. It's very, what's the word for it? Not uncomfortable, but it's not typical in the way in which we converse because we speak from the I. We speak from I, oh yeah, well, you did this or you did that. Or we 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 passive, we we do passive listening, right? That's a thing. Of course. Yeah. Right. You, we, we get a little bit or we hone in on a keyword. Yeah. And we obsess on that instead of listening to 
Yes. You go on and on about what the definition of that word is and the semantics of that word. Right. Yeah. How's that? How's that my problem? <laughs> that comes to mind. Right. You, you can't obsess on just one thing. Right. So you don't offer any opinion. You just basically are a mirror, which is mirroring, right? You mirror back the other person what it is. That well, I'm not like getting, I'm, I'm not there yet, but yes. You're, it's a little clue to the next. Yes. All next. right. So continuing on with my notes here. Yeah. As opposed to the passive listening, which is what do you do? You hear, you hear what you want to hear, filtering out the rest. And then the best way to listen to let them know that they are being heard is what's known as mirroring, which you repeat. And I put here three to four, the person's last three to four words, but it doesn't necessarily have to be three to four words. It could just be what, two or three or two or one or whatever. But you basically, well, we can, we can show an example of this in a second. Repeat the last three or four words of what the person said by imitating their speech patterns. You are signaling on an emotional level that the other person to the, you're, you're signaling on an emotional level to the other person that you are not only hearing them, but you are similar to them. Mm -hmm. And this creates trust and trust wins and helps you with negotiations. So do you want to mirror me? Okay. I'm going to mirror you. <laughs> okay. This, I'm, I'm the expert mirror. This so should, this should be good. Yeah. Let me, let me try, let me try to get to the next level here and, and earn mm -hmm. my merit badge. Yeah. So you can earn, the, besides a creative director, you can be no, I, I don't know if I can, I, that's, that, that hat's enough for me. I don't know if I can wear any more hats. But okay. So I need a topic. I put myself on the spot. Well, you're going to, so basically you might, if something you want to complain about or something that you can't believe or something that <laughs> oh, it's gosh. very, it's very cold. You can't believe how cold it is down at the shore because it should be warmer. <laughs> I can't believe it. Okay. You know, right. I don't know. Something like that. The weather. I can't believe how windy it is down the shore that it's so windy still that my cushion blew away. Now, see, now there's two ways to go about this. I'm okay, I'm going to go, cushion blew away. <laughs> there you go. Yes, my blue cushion blew away, and it's on this island somewhere, and I can't find it. Go ahead, mirror. Okay. Mirror away. You can't find your cushion because it's so windy. Devastating. Yes. Blew away. It's, tra it's tragic. It's a travesty. It's a tragedy. Yeah. So I think with mirroring, like, you can... Some other things to do, another technique is inferring about a feeling, which sometimes we could be wrong. Like you can be like, oh, you're happy about that? Well, clearly I'm not happy. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're very, very distraught over losing that cushion <laughs> up to the, 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 the furniture that it belonged to. It sounds like you're very, very mm -hmm. distraught. And, and that's what's and known as... Like, yes, I am so distraught about that. And, they, and, and, and Mr. Voss, Chris Voss calls this tactical empathy. So this is a hypothetical situation, stories I hear, you know, that people complain to me about, about a cushion that blows away yeah, <laughs> or something, their hat blew away. You know, I love my hats. I know you, know you how do. how sad I would be if my hat blew away? You'd be so sad. I have some cool hats. Yes, you do. Right? You know how excited I am to wear my is new Is it hat? because I said I don't want to wear another hat and that made you think of your hats? Yeah. Wow. My hats. We segues and we segues. <laughs> we segues into hats. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just like goose, and and you're maverick, and I set the ball, yeah. and then you spike it. I do. Yes. I do. And then you go to a dinner. You go to dinner late, smelling, needing a shower. What? <laughs> on the, on the it's, a, it's a Top Gun reference. On we watched that recently. People, fans know what I'm talking. Terry, you know what I'm talking about. You love Top Gun. <laughs> Top Gun. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Okay, so why am I whispering? Does this sound it sounds awkward to practice this with people? 
right? Have you been practicing active listening in the next in the last few weeks? I have. Well, I I'm around it. children, so I really I don't want them to think that I'm listening to them because then they'll talk more and they talk oh, enough. You don't want to invite them. No, I yeah. So one of the side effects of active listening and mirroring and tactical empathy is it draws the person out to explain something about themselves and give you more of the story. More intel. Or intel, well, yeah. So you may learn something else that they didn't <laughs> expect to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, there's the open-ended questions, you know, to ask people questions. Which I'm sorry, I'm jumping the gun on. No, no, no. All I, of the I, techniques that I know and I do, but yeah, questions that you can have them so instead of yes/no questions. Like it, it opens up the conversation of how people can, kids especially, right? Like asking them. Questions. Yeah, no, I, I see. You may want to not point. do that with. No, but no, no, but I mean, but you know, you want yes or no? But parents with their kid, with their kids, kids that they really, really care about. And I mean, I care, I care about all of my students, but I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Lord, yeah. We um, only have a little bit of time to get to be with them during the day. You don't want to have a whole. No, yeah, I know enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know enough. All right, next. All right, so tell us the next technique. So you do all these things, and what you're working for with. Active listening with mirroring and, and labeling and then the tactical empathy and, and eventually and then replying with, you know, an open-ended question to make them elaborate so you can understand where they're coming from and why they feel the way they do. You'll get some more information that way with like a how or what kind of question. Right. So steer away from the why, because mm-hmm. that sounds accusatory. You know, why did you do this? Why didn't you do that? You know, so... Right. There's only there was only one instance he said to use why, but I forget. I don't even want, I forget too, and I don't even want to mention it because it's, right. it's well, apparently like a should. It's like don't do it. Don't yeah, do it. and these how and, and what questions are good because they prompt a longer answer and put the other person to work to better negotiate and and maybe in in a sense solve your problems by thinking about it a little bit you know, more intently. And finally, what you're looking for, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, it's also like kind of reminded me a little bit about values. I've talked with acceptance commitment therapy about that, like what's important to that person. So if you're trying to work on a project together and negotiate a deal, trying to find a common ground and figure out what are the goals, what's important to you, you know, how can we make that work? How can we make it better? Those types of questions or, you know, who, right? I think you said who was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, who, what, and how. Who, what, and how. And eventually what the payoff is, you're going to get a that's right (laughs) from the other person because they finally understand that you understand, that you get get that. Those those two words, that's right. And there's a distinction between your right and that's right. That's like the golden ticket. That's right. Yeah, that's (laughs) right is universal. It can be you said it, he said it, she said, anybody said it, Mm -hmm. but- What's right is right. And if you said what's right, it's gospel. Well, I mean, that's just like the, you sealed the deal. Like, that's right. That's exactly how I feel. That's Mm -hmm. exactly what's important to me. So you know what my favorite line is of this book? Oh, you didn't use it for the quote? No. Okay. Oh, wait, you didn't do your quote, did you? Yes, I did. Oh, yeah, you did. See? Yeah, yeah. Wow. That was like 27 minutes ago. You forgot. The only reason you know that is because the time is in in your laptop (laughs) in front of you. Don't act all bad. So I'm going to throw these zingers at you. And I haven't had a chance. Literally, yeah, I'm gonna throw it. I haven't had a chance to use it yet. Okay. How am I gonna do that? With me? How am I gonna do that? How you gonna do what? Right. 
That's his. That's his line. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. yes. Okay, okay. I get it. I get it. Right. How do I do that? How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to? I want. I need a million dollars in a car full of gas in fifteen minutes, or your, you know, your your child, your child dies. How am I supposed to do that? And how do we? How do I even know that he's alive? Proof of life. Yeah. Right. That's a whole other thing. How do I know he's alive? So the how question is really great. Because mm-hmm. it puts it back on the other person to figure it out for you. Well, I mean, that's helpful with the the million dollars. How can I get that by midnight? How yeah, if it's something ridiculous. It's How like, am I going to do that? Right? How am I going to do that? Well, you can sell your house. How am I going to do that? <laughs> In 15 like, minutes, I'm going to sell my house? Yeah, the, it's calling out the BS of the other right. person. Right, and it makes it makes them think, okay, you know what? I kind I see where you're coming from. Okay, maybe I'm asking for a bit much. Like I'm open and to it. The, you're, you're, already, you're already you're on your way to, you know. Yeah. Get your son or daughter back. Like, how am I going to do that in this time frame? You know, so yet to to use that line. So that's our challenge for the our homework for the next time is you use that line on someone, not on each other, and I'll use that line somewhere. Not on each other. It doesn't count. I might have already done it. and You didn't realize it. When? Ooh, I ain't gonna tell you. I'm not gonna tell you. No, I think it's easiest to use with children when they ask for ridiculous stuff. How am I gonna do? How am I supposed to do that? Yeah. It's a good idea. <laughs> well, that's kind of like when the, you know, the kid who keeps saying, why? I got to go to work. Why? Because we need money. Why? Because money doesn't grow on trees. Why? Because that's, that's not <laughs> well, science. So this time of year, right, my, my colleagues and friends who teach college get the asks of extra credit and, you know, how can I, how can I get an A? And I'm so distraught. So they can use that. How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to give you extra credit? How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to pull that off? Yeah, it's it's called math. How am I supposed to? Right. How am so I? How, you, yeah. So if any kids come to you, yeah. and say, "Oh, Mr. Dana, how? Yes. I really want to get an A. Really? And you have you have a forty-seven <laughs> in class right now, and we have a test left. No, no, you have to say it. Oh, no. how am I supposed to do? Well, I'm showing them how it's impossible, <laughs> but they but see, my kids won't get to this 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 conclusion. How am I supposed to do that? I don't know. Just fix it. You're going to hack into the system and change. You could upgrade and you could put it, which I can, but I have this thing called morals. And I think of the other kids who actually busted their rear end to get an A. And then I see you. Let you off the hook. How am I supposed to do it? You tell me. How I can pull that magic off. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, a lot of times they'll just look at me like, huh? huh? Oh, I don't know. Well, so if you don't know, how am I supposed to do it? I mean, (laughs) come on. So we have to use that tactfully, right? So I recommend the book. It's a really good read. It's not just for hostage negotiation. It's for negotiating. I know he's very like, like in his title, like negotiating as if your life depended on it when you're trying to buy a car or some sneakers. But like, there's some techniques in there as far as negotiating, but even just... Connecting. I, I like the fact that you can use some of these techniques for just connecting to other people, whether it's a discussion about where to order dinner or it's with your family members on, you know, maybe a vacation spot or something like that. Like I, I hear a lot of this with people coming in and there's negotiation to be had with work situations, with a relationship. So it could be mild negotiation. It doesn't have to be hostage <laughs> negotiation. And there's also, you know, I think he does point out that there are some things that... Negotiating bedtime well, with your kids. And there's other things that you need to just know that you're not going to negotiate, you know, but, the, you know, yeah, that's not negotiable. But like I, I used one of his little, I forget, there was a blurb that I liked where he said, you know, like giving people who you're negotiating with a voice where they feel like that they are, you know, especially so I, I deal with, with kids. So, you know, I had, a, they had to ID, a, you know, a map of the United States because 
their geography skills are just lacking and that's putting it mildly. And so I'm like, all right, guys, here. And I had two different styles of, of maps, you know, different fonts and, and so on, you know. And so what I did was I said, okay, guys, we got to ID a map and, you know, this is what you're going to do and here's what you need to ID and, and do it for me real quick. And yeah, you can, and they're, ah, okay, now here, pick your map. So they stopped, you know, hemming and hawing and they're looking at the two maps because now what do they have? They have a choice. It's a choice to do work. It's a choice to do what I needed them to do. But, oh, I can choose that. I have a choice of what map I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah, you do. Knock yourself out. People like to have choices, you know, whether it's control of the thermostat, you know, or those types of things like a map or cereal. Okay, you have a choice between A and B. It's it's usually helpful for kids. All right, listen. Do you want to listen tonight, Angelina? Do you want to have spinach or do you want to have broccoli? Or or do you have to eat a vegetable? You want okay four. You want four pieces of carrot. You want to yeah okay four four carrots four little baby carrots on your plate or six four and I'm like. I was, I would have been fine with two, but okay, good. You know, I got up to four. Hey, it's the, it's the illusion of choice or there's some level of choice. And we, we feel like all of us, even adults like to feel like we have some choice. So we have learned some techniques and I was happy to hear that he consulted with a lot of Mm -hmm. psychologists that he mentioned in the book, because there is so much psychology in negotiation and it isn't meant to be manipulative. You know what I'm going to do right now? Eat Uh, my cheese? No, I'm going to go marinate steak. Yeah. Yeah, for tomorrow. The steak from the butcher. The butcher, the, the baker, baker, the candlestick maker. Every time I say it, I can't help it. Uh, no, that's, I think that's more, that's Run DMC, Peter Piper. Oh, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's okay. A, I have Run DMC on my jams, my my really, really long jams playlist. I think you laughed at it one time. You're like, why do you have the, like this many songs on here? This we were just, awesome. we were just going back and forth about. God awful 90s songs that we hated when we were in college well, and heard yeah, over and over and over again. Yes, at the Doville. And, uh, and you picked one. And I picked let's see. Gin Blossoms, Hey Jealousy. If I never hear that like, for the rest of my life, it'll <laughs> be too soon. <laughs> Mine was. Yeah. Wait, 90s was um, what? The Hungry, the Hungry one. Oh, oh, hungry. I'm going hungry. Saying that? I don't mind stealing bread. Something of the dog. Eat dog. Not eat the dog. <laughs> eat the rich. Eat the dog. I don't know. Eat the dog. It seemed terrible. The, je- the hey jealousy they played out a lot. Those I gotta look pilots. up. Wait, hungry. And then a soul asylum. There's a soul asylum. Run. Oh, uh, not runaway, runaway train. train. Yeah, runaway train. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so we, we happened to hear some 90s songs, and then we went down a rabbit hole of what, what 90s songs do you hate, and then what 90s songs do you like? It's only the grunge ones, like... Temple of the Dog. Temple of the Dog. See? I told you it was something. Ladies, ge- ladies and gentlemen, we're Temple of the Dog. <laughs> I'm going hungry. That's so... Mm. So our favorites are the grunge guys like Nirvana. Wait, wait. Yeah, but... The one, wait, there's one more terrible song. One more terrible song. Wait, I gotta, I gotta look up the... Is look, it Mr. Jones? Yes, I love the... It's so bad. It's it's so... You know what? I'm, there, I'm, like, I'm no thinking choice. about it. It's so bad. It's good. Listen, this is when we had no choice, boys and girls, when we didn't have a playlist. So we had to be at the mercy of the radio. Mr. One Jones checks up a conversation. <laughs> with the flamingo dancer. With the flamingo dancer. With the flamingo. He. Not this is what he does. I don't want to hear the whole story. No, I just, I'll, I'll talk it to you. What? Mr. Jones strikes up a conversation with a flamingo dancer. You, you know... 
she dances while his father plays guitar. Okay. It's a family business. She's suddenly beautiful. She's suddenly beautiful. Yeah. And he's got beer goggles. Well, he must, yeah, he must have beer goggles. <laughs> and we all want something beautiful. And then he goes, Man, I wish I was beautiful. All right, I'm done. It's a whole segue into his life that we Sha la 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 la. So I'm glad we have a choice now of music selection, right? Yes. The the nineties alternative grunge era was intriguing at first. And then it was like, God. Well, when's this gonna end? Like, this so, is it was terrible. so unique compared to the eighties. It was just different. It was like yeah. and dark, and, you know, a little not. And then after a while, it's like okay, not just because it's different doesn't mean it's all good. Because there were some songs that were just mm-hmm. terrible. Oh yeah, well every era there's terrible songs. Yeah, well, but no, no, no. Listen, there's more terrible in the nineties. Even the not listen the eight the eighties the eighties songs. The 80s songs, the terrible ones were still okay. Dombo Obigato, Mr. Roboto was terrible, but look what it does. It puts a smile on your face because it's like so silly. It is not you know, a karaoke Okay. Favorite, Rock Me Amadeus was a god-awful I song, like that. but it had a hook. It had a hook. Right. And the video was funny. Yes. <laughs> the video was funny. Boom, boom. Well, he was Rock dressed like Amadeus. Yes. He had the hair and everything. It was his anthem. It was, it was his... It was... Who sang it? Oh God, I remember the name. I, Rock, I can't. Rock, Rockwell? Rockwell? No, Rockwell. No, you know Rockwell. <laughs> you don't want me to do Rockwell. Who's Rockwell? You know Rockwell. What are you talking about? When I'm in the shower. <laughs> Wait, I gotta sing it now. No, no. All right. right. When I'm in the shower, I'm afraid to wash my hair because I'm opening my eyes and someone's standing there. <laughs> God. No, it's a different person. It was a rock something. <laughs> I get the feel that somebody and Michael, Michael Jackson, Jackson. Michael Jackson did the chorus, and that's the only reason why it was, it was a hit. That was his only hit. And I well, think that was funny. Quincy Jones's like nephew, un- untalented nephew. Uncle Quincy, I want to be a rock. I want to be a pop star. Can you get Can you get Uncle Michael to to do the vocals for me and the chorus for me? Sure. It is hilarious. He's afraid to. It's like he's paranoid. Obviously. All right, so that's a good song for. You know what? We could do. Okay, I got an idea for a show: music therapy, like songs about. I give you a song, and you tell me the person's troubles. Like, okay, so obviously Rockwell's oh, suffering okay. from anxiety and uh, fear of showering. Paranoia. <laughs> Paranoia. Well, I wouldn't say he's schizophrenic, but probably some delusional disorder. Apparently, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we could diagnose some people in songs. Mm-hmm. There's probably a lot of suicidal. Oh yeah. Impressed. <laughs> <laughs> individuals perhaps or manic maybe some manic manic depression yeah well, Jimi hendrix, hendrix. <laughs> yeah right manic monday but she's not necessarily saying she's manic although maybe just on mondays remember just another man i was kissing valentino in a crystal blue italian stream maybe you are manic That's oh my monday god like. Ritzer wrote, wrote that for them yeah. Yeah. Prince, he wrote a lot of songs for different people. He's like, here you go. You can have that one. I'm just going to keep, I got a lot of them. <laughs> got plenty. Whatever. All right. So we'll continue this conversation amongst us. Which one? Bad music or? Uh... Yeah. Okay. Prince. I'm not even going to sing it. I can't even sing it on air. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which Prince song? Dearly Beloved. No. No, which one? No, I'm not saying it. I was singing it all night. Oh God, don't do that. Not, no. Not. I'll you'll, you'll, yes, you shouldn't do that. That's not my credibility that's... intact. 
All right. So as always, thanks for listening to our show. Catch all of our episodes and more at www.innerbalancepsychology.com or talktherapycbt.com. Email us if you have any questions at info at innerbalancepsychology.com. And remember to stop it and give yourself a chance.